Hi, this is Joel Knox from the Vineyard Church in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad that you're interested in our podcasts. Our media is available to you free of charge, and it always will be. But if you'd like to help us out, you can go to our website, vineyardbrenham.org, and make a donation there. We'd appreciate it very much. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. That was The Power of Love. It was actually the title track on the movie Back to the Future in 1985, which was also my favorite movie, I think, of just about all time. I, I've, I've watched that movie so much, I can, I, I can quote it. I won't start that now. But, but when, when, we, when we talk about love, a lot of things come to mind, right? And... There's a lot of things that media and movies and even songs have described love to be that aren't necessarily what it is. And we sometimes have these ideas and imaginations about what love looks like or what it's supposed to be looking like or what it's supposed to be in your life, you know? Huey Lewis explained it this way, and we didn't actually go to this verse But the first time you feel it, it might make you sad. The next time you feel it, it might make you mad. But you'll be glad, baby, when you found that that's the power that makes the world go around. Now, I think those of us who have lived past high school, I think we've come to understand that that love does make the world go around. It's not Cupid in the, you know, the... The, the little arrows and the, the hearts and stuff, that there's, there's actually something to what they talk about in the Scriptures when they describe love. And it, it actually means as much as they talk about. And no offense to Huey Lewis, but I think the Apostle Paul described it even more completely. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul wrote, Love is patient, love is kind does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And I skip down to verse 13. Now these things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these things is love. Now for the past three weeks, we've been talking about, the, we've been reading the Christmas story and we've reread portions of it again and again, looking at different aspects, looking through the different lenses of, of hope and peace and joy. Well, today we're going to look at that emotion, that feeling, that attribute that Paul called the greatest, and that was love. You see, love is the essence of the Christmas story. And in the inbreaking of the kingdom at Christmas, we see the power of love. Love's not some passive feeling or emotion. 
It requires action. Wouldn't you agree? Love does something. It doesn't sit there and just kind of hope that something, something else might happen. Love takes action. It inspires, it motivates, it encourages us to go beyond anything we could ever do for ourselves. Love gives. And love is what made Christmas possible. The Apostle John described love like this. In 1 John 4, verse 9, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And His love is made complete in us. Now I want to point out just a couple of things here. First of all, God demonstrated what love was. And John is very clear about that, that in sending Jesus, He demonstrated what love looked like. And God did what we could not do. I mean, we know the, the story from creation that we had been separated from God. And, you know, you can blame Adam and Eve if you want to, but it, it's the human nature. It, it's that sin nature, the sin that's in us from birth that kept us from being able to even approach God. And God, knowing our situation, took the initiative and sent His Son to bridge the gap and pay the price so that we could have access to Him. That's the picture of love that we see in Jesus' coming. And the second term in this passage that, that I, I, I want to look at is, is this term complete. You notice it there toward the end of the passage. This passage, it, it, that meaning of, of complete can also be translated as perfect. Now, in relation to what John was saying, God introduced the most complete and perfect love that mankind would ever know in sending His Son, Jesus. And that love is made complete when we love each other. That was the intent. God gave us the means to understand what complete, true, real, perfect love is. By sending Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. God so loved that He gave. That's why we read that passage when we, wrote, when we lit the candle this morning. God so loved that He gave. That's our model. So we need to love each other. The power of love is demonstrated through giving. Paul wrote to the Romans in the fifth chapter of, of Romans, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare die. 
But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another way to look at that is that on our worst day, the times whenever we had turned our back on God, the times that we had rejected and didn't want to have anything to do with God. I think about a time whenever I, was, I, I, I decided, God, I'm through. I'm done. I've had it with you. You've not done anything for me. You've just, you, you just left me out here just blowing in the breeze. It, this was happening. I was, I was parked at, a, at an ATM. And it was in Athens, Texas. I remember this. It's, it's almost like a picture. I could, I could draw it for you. And I'm sitting there at the ATM, and I saw the balance that was in my bank account, and I was like, God, I'm through with you. I, I've, I've, I've paid my tithes. I've done everything that you told me to do, and here I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm still in a mess. So I, I'm through. And so I drove away from that ATM. I was going to help somebody move, and I was pulling a, a, a trailer in my dad's pickup. I got about five, eight miles outside of town, and I started feeling the truck do like this. How many of you have ever been in a car that started doing this? <laughs> Rear right tire went flat. You know, my dad's truck had, had rotten tires on it, so, you know, it was, I mean, it, it was just a little, little truck that he drove around town. So I'm stuck on the side of the road. Well, he's got a spare tire up in the bed of the truck. Well, it's not the spare tire for the truck. And then I look behind the seat to see if, uh, you know, well, okay, maybe there's tire tools or something. I'm going to have to figure this out. Look back behind the seat. There was no jack. There was no tire tool. There was not even a crowbar behind my dad's seat. I'm like, what in the world does my dad do in this truck? Well, of course, that's why it's in the shape that it was in. So I'm sitting on the side of the road, and I'm like, and I, I almost said, dear Lord, and then I remembered, I just wrote you off about 15 minutes ago. And so I'm sitting on the side of the road, and I'm trying to figure it out. I ran across the street, and I knocked on the door. Nobody's home. I, I, and, and this is out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's just you know, a little country road, and, you know, and, and there were houses that you could see, but they were a long way away. So I'm sitting on the side of the road, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And so finally, I, I just broke down, on, on, and you know, I was right at the, the back back end of my dad's truck, and I, I said, Lord, I was foolish. Would you please forgive me and get me out of this? And I'm not kidding you. No sooner than I said that prayer, a, a vehicle came over the hill, and the guy had a jack, and he had, had everything, and somehow he was able, able to get that, that spare tire to fit on that wheel, and I was able to go on and, and help the guy finish moving that day, and then, then whenever I got home, I talked my dad into getting some new tires. But in the moment that I rejected him, that's when he died for me. He knew that Joel was going to be at a place where he said, that's it, I don't want to have any more to do with you. But he had already paid the price. And that's, that's the picture that we have in God sending Jesus. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. When we were at our worst, not whenever we... We're looking our best and trying to put on that, that nice front. But when we were at our worst, that's when he died for us. Mother Teresa, known as St. Teresa of Calcutta, was born in 1910. 
When she was 40 years old, she founded the Missionaries of, Char Missionaries of Charity in India. It's a Catholic congregation that as of 2012 was made up of 4,500 sisters, Catholic nuns, and is active in 133 countries. This congregation manages homes for those dying of HIV and AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis. They provide soup kitchens, dispensaries for medicines and, and for different treatments, and mobile clinics. They provide children's and family counseling programs, orphanages, and schools. And its members who make the vows of chastity and poverty and obedience profess a fourth vow to give wholeheartedly free service to the poorest of the poor. And I've got this quote, and I thought this was just really an incredible thing, but those of you that have ever just, just read anything about Mother Teresa, you know this is true. I found that the paradox, I found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there is no hurt, but only more love. You see, it couldn't have been easy for God to say to His Son, okay, you're going to go to earth and you're going to die a gruesome death in order to save the people we created. But it was that sacrifice, it was that act of giving that made it possible for us to be part of God's kingdom. God demonstrated His love by giving and sending His Son. He gave until it hurt, which only released more love to us. And this love is reciprocal in that it has been revealed and it requires a response. Jesus said in John chapter 3, we read this verse already, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God's not sending anybody else. He's already sent His Son Jesus. And He made the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, so that we might come to God. So, how will we respond to this gift? Will we receive what God has given us? That's the question. Okay, now we're going to move on to the Christmas story again. I don't think we can read it enough. But it's the pre-Christmas story. And I want to, want to look at that for the remainder of our time. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. 
Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. See, God needs people to fulfill His plan. He always has. I mean... God's all-powerful, and if He wanted to, I'm sure He could come in and just make a personal appeal to every person on the planet. He could do that. God could overwhelm our will if He wanted to and make us receive Him. I mean, it's possible. He's God. He's in control of everything. But rather than force Himself upon us, he decided, and you know, and we might say it, it might have been a rash decision to entrust his message to humanity. And if we look at what, what's been done down through the years, we could question, Lord, why did you really want to do that? I mean, there were some times when the, the church really made a mess of the gospel message. But it was God's plan from the very beginning to use people to participate in His plan to redeem the world. And so here we have this young lady. And it's, and it's interesting, you know, that, that Mary, when we talk about the mother of Jesus, there's a lot of things that come to mind. Maybe you've seen her as an icon in a church or, you know, some, some beautiful portrait of her in, in some kind of Greek-type artistry, you know, and she's got the really sleek face and, the, you know, and all the, the, the lines and, and stuff. And, and maybe we've seen her in, in, like in the Eastern Orthodox where, you know, it really, you know, it, it doesn't look like what we would think that Mary might look like. But at the end of the day, you know, we're reading the story Mary was really just typically, just a typical Jewish girl. She's probably anywhere from 14 to 16 years old. And it was customary in those days that girls that age were married to, to older men. My grandmother was, was married when she was 14. And, uh, you know, and I'm sure there are some of you that, that you probably know people in your family who had um, grandmothers or maybe even your mother who was, who was married at an early age. That was the thing. And, and so she was doing what, what a, a normal 
Jewish girl would do. She was engaged to be married. And, you know, I, I think she felt like she had her life pretty well together. And then the angel shows up. Why are you coming to me? I'm, I'm just an ordinary girl. God called her to be what, what scholars say, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of the Messiah. And in some traditions, they've actually elevated her you know, to, to someone who is actually worshipped. And God says, the angel says, you are highly favored. Why God chose her over any other? And we understand, you know, when you look at the, at the biblical story, that there, there, there was connection in the, in the, the line that would, would lead to Jesus. So we, we can see that. But, but we, we need to understand that Mary was just, she was just going on with her life. And, and now all of a sudden, she was... She was about to be pregnant, and she wasn't married. Now, we know the story, and, you know, and, and, and how, it, how it actually happened. I'm sure there was something glorious to it. But whenever you have to answer to the neighbor that's like, Hey, uh, I noticed that your daughter is getting a little, uh, you know, what's been going on? You know, she, what's... What's been going on with her and Joseph? And of course, you know, we, we also get to read the, the story about Joseph in Matthew. I mean, th this was a scandal in their day. And God is asking this normal, upright Jewish young lady to agree to a plan that's not going to be easy. So what would she do? How would she respond to God's call? Luke records her response in a song. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of my humble estate, the humble estate of His servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. I think that's a pretty strong yes there, wouldn't you say? Mary chose faith over fear. There was a lot to be afraid of. And if you've been reading in, in the, little, the little devotional that we gave out earlier this, in, in the Advent season, there's a quote that says, Fear never disqualifies anyone from an experience of the inbreaking kingdom. You know, it's okay to be afraid. I mean, it's an emotion. You know, and you might look at your circumstances and you might be afraid. How in the world am I going to get through this? How in the world am I going to make it? What am I going to do? And we look at what, what Mary, how she responded whenever God came to her. And she said, I'm the Lord's servant. And it doesn't really matter what we're experiencing this morning. When we trust God and we have an attitude that says, I am your servant, 
And we, we see in the Christmas story that God provided for Mary and Joseph miraculously. And even led them into Egypt so that they could get away from a, a king that was out of his mind in order to preserve their son and preserve their lives. Mary believed that God could do anything. And He came through. And when we face our circumstances where we're afraid and we don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to make it, we can trust and know that God will take care of us the same way He took care of Mary, the same way He took care of Joseph, the same way that He took care of Jesus being born in the stable. The power of love is experienced when we choose faith over fear. When we trust God, He just shows up. He shows up and He comes to our aid. Like the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Paul wrote, and he was talking about this thorn in the flesh that he was experiencing. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The kingdom comes in. The kingdom breaks in and we see God's deliverance. Some of you may be familiar, familiar with the name William Carey. He's known as the, the father of modern missions. He lived from 1761 to 1834 and was kind of a contemporary of, of John Wesley and others that, that, we, that we look up to in, in Christian history. William Carey was, a, was a, a cobbler. He worked on shoes. And he was converted at a, at a young age, and he, and he felt a passion about sharing the gospel message. And while he was working as a shoemaker, as a cobbler, he taught himself Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And he, he wanted to see the gospel spread around the world. And, and just he, he didn't know how he would be able to participate in that. And he finally, he was, he was ordained as a, as a Baptist minister. And, and in a meeting where they were, they were talking about missions, and he was, he was talking about how we need to ensure, and this was a, this was a missions group that he was speaking to, we need to ensure that, that people who have not heard the name of Jesus get to hear it in their own voice, in their own tongue, in their own language. And he was told, God doesn't need your help to save the lost. And not so nice of words. And, and, and he, he never got discouraged. And he just, he just continued to pray, God, open the door for me to, to, to reach the lost. And he finally had the opportunity... He raised money, he, he funded himself, and he ended up going to India. And most of what's been done in India through Mother Teresa really depended on what William Carey started 
back in the 18th century. By the time of his death, he had translated the entire Bible into seven Indian languages and translated parts of the Bible into 209 other languages and dialects. He was still working on those, those parts, trying to get the complete Bible into the hands of these, these indigenous peoples. And that's why he's known today as the father of modern missions. He, he moved his family to India. He saw his children die. He was married three times. One wife, when one of the children were lost, he, um, she lost her mind. And rather than putting her in, a, in an asylum, took care of her every day. And then finally when she died, he, his epitaph was that she's finally at peace. And outlived two other wives and continued to share the gospel message. And, you know, when you look at the, the fact of the millions of people that were, that were in India and in the surrounding region, they can only really point to 700 true converts that William Carey tried to reach. But when, when we look at, at what's happened in, in the years since, and even through the work that, that, that Mother Teresa has done, there are millions who know the gospel because of what William Carey started through his own work, raising his funds, and just pursuing sharing the gospel. And he's known for this one quote. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What was it that motivated a man to do all the things that he did? He devoted his life. He, at one point, he had spent 28 years as a missionary without a furlough. He was constantly on the job. And he was constantly teaching, constantly working to see that people came to know Jesus. Love can make you do some crazy things. And that's what it was. It was his love for the Lord, his love and how he wanted other people to know the love that he knew in his own life. Love can make you do some crazy things. So many of you saw this week that, that our, our daughter got engaged, Jessica. You, maybe you saw those pictures. If not, they're out on Facebook and they're adorable. <laughs> so, um, but but I, I, it's, it's been kind of amazing. Um, I, I, I'm sure some of you know that she, she moved to Memphis in the fall and she's been, she's been going to law school. Well, her now fiancé, Bradley, took a job in, in McKinney. And if you look on the map, there's quite a distance there. About, I think it's like six hours, right? Something like that. Well, you know, we, 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 we took Jessica up to, to Memphis and, you know, we got her settled in. And, and so we didn't really know what was going to happen. And, uh, and so we just kind of kept, kept tabs, you know, but really not trying to, to, to pry or anything. Well, we come to find out that she and Bradley have been driving back and forth to seeing one another pretty much all semester. And, you know, and, and I, was, I was talking to Danelle, and I was like, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, you know, six hours, you know, and of course she's my daughter, and, you know, 
stuff happens on the road, and it's, you know, we're talking about I-40 and I-30, and, you know, it, it's, it, yeah, I'm a dad. I, I, I get nervous about my kids. But in the course of, uh, you know, telling this to Danelle, I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. So look, they're in love. You better wake up that, you know, they're, they're moving toward, of course, then we knew that, I knew that they were going to get engaged, but, but, but it, it snapped, it snapped me to my senses. I remember whenever Danelle and I were, were about to get married, I lived in Victoria, she lived in Houston. Sometimes I would, I'd get off work at like five, six o'clock in the evening, and uh, I knew I needed to be back at, at, in Victoria the next morning at six o'clock, and I would, I'd go and stay till about two or three o'clock in the morning at, at her, her parents' house, make the drive back, get up in the morning, drink a lot of coffee, and go to work again. Love makes us do some crazy things. And that's what makes this whole story what it is. Because there's a young lady who trusted God and believed, regardless of what would happen to her, that I'm going to bear the Christ child. And, and I, 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 I can imagine this young lady, you, you couldn't pry her from it. She trusted God and she believed that He was going to take care of her. You see, the power of, love, of, power of love reveals the glory of God. We see the glory of God in, in, in the love that, that people share for Jesus. And there's a story in the Bible about a young man by the name of Lazarus. Remember, Jesus was with his disciples and he gets word that, that Lazarus is, is, is sick. And rather than going to him right then, they waited a few days and Lazarus died. So Jesus finally decides to go and, you know, of course, everyone's telling him, uh, Lazarus is dead. Um, and so he goes, and everyone is just expecting, that, well, you know, it, uh, Jesus is going to come, and, and, and he's going to try to make us all feel better. Well, instead of, of trying to make them feel better, they go out to the, to the gravesite, and he does what no one really expected that, that, that he would do. And in John chapter 11... We're familiar with it. He, he, he cries and, you know, the shortest verse in, in Scripture, Jesus wept. And then in, that, in, in the next moment, he calls Lazarus forth. And he comes out and, and, and they're, they're amazed. I mean, this man can do anything. And John writes what Jesus said at that moment. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Just imagine what God wants to do through us. This is what the Christmas story is all about. If He can send a baby to be born the way that Jesus was, anything's possible. We look at what Jesus did, anything is possible. But like God's plan, 
He wants us to participate in what He's trying to do. The power of love has been revealed to, to us in the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here. We say this all the time. It's here, it's not in its fullness, but we've experienced the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And one day we'll experience it in, in, in its fullness. And we just need to recognize the fact that the kingdom is still here. That's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story that the kingdom broke in for us. So I want to ask this morning, as you stand, you can stand. Sorry. Sorry. What's God put in your heart? What has God put in your heart? Maybe there's something that, you, that you've thought about, like, you know, I'd, I'd really like to, like to do this, but, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't want anybody to think that, I'm, that I, I, I think I'm really, you know, that I, I think I'm all that or I'm trying to do something, you know, that I, that I, I got the big head and I, you know, that I, I, I just, but I really, you know, I, I think God really wants me to do this. And maybe you felt that for a long time and you've just, you've just been paralyzed by that. I think God wants me to do this in my life. I think God wants me to, to whatever. You know, I, I, I've always kind of wanted to be a pastor. And, you know, and, and I, I kept waiting for the right time. When will it happen? When will it happen? When will it happen? And, then, and God one day opened the door. And here I am, like it or not, but what has God put in your heart? Because anything is possible. That's what the Christmas story is about. The kingdom is here. And God wants, wants us to participate in what He wants to do.